On this episode of Resi Week, Resi Mercial is your new commercial. Savant has partnered with Avid and securing your smart home. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week episode 130, Resi Marshall. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Access Networks and by Middle Atlantic. What great systems are built on. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt T. Scott from avnation.tv. And today I'm pleased to be joined by the one and only Julie Jacobson. She's the founding editor of CE Pro. How are you, ma'am? Good. It's a good thing there's only one of this out there in the ether. <laughs> no, there's two, though. There's another Julie Jacobson, yeah. right? It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's that's pretty fantastic. And secondly, uh, with I don't know if you need an introduction yet. You need an introduction on the show, but everyone should know you. It's Giles Sutton. He is the new Senior VP of Industry Engagement for Cedia. How are you, sir? I am awesome. First day on the job, and this is my first media commitment. So, yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, thank you for, for joining us on your first day, and uh, we'll be s- mostly nice. Um, we are going to kick this off with some breaking news uh, that comes to us from Julie. She literally just posted this just as the call started. Uh, Dave Pedigo has resigned from Cedia after 14 years. This is all fresh and new. We don't know everything about it yet. We're not going to try and jump into it. Um, but we, we all know Dave. Uh, we wish him nothing but the best. We wish Cedia nothing but the best. Uh, but this is definitely a, a big deal that we'll, I'm sure we'll probably learn a little bit more down the road. Julie, anything to add? No, the only thing I'd like to say is uh, he did not leave with a job in hand. So he will be looking. And if anyone needs a reference or recommendation, I and about a thousand other people can can probably provide that. Yeah, it's um, I have a lot of friends right now that are looking for work, and it is not a position that uh, I necessarily want to be in. And luckily for Giles, he has a, a new job, so he doesn't need to. Um, Giles, just real quick, we we have talked about this since the announcement came out about your new position. Um, you are you're coming in and and doing something that I, I'd say the association has needed for a little while. Uh, you're going to be in, in charge of industry engagement. What is the big message that you want to bring to, you know, the manufacturers, the dealers, all the members of Cedia? Well, thanks, Matt. I mean, I, I, I agree that actually, you know, um, Cedia has really needed this for some time. Um, I really feel that as, um, as a past integrator, I really feel that I, I understand the market, the challenges, um, the competitive nature of our industry. Um, I really hope that I can bring some of that to the way that CD engages with its members. I really feel that um, uh, there is a need for Cedia, uh, both for integrators that are well-established, that do a fantastic job. Um, they still need Cedia. I also believe that there is a need for Cedia um, for members that are just starting out. So mm-hmm. um, my job is to um, work with um, our senior vice president of education here, uh, as well as the membership team to develop programs that are going to build all, all members. So, um, 
you know, and match manufacturers to programs as well. So I am super excited to be in this role. Excellent. We can't wait to see what goes forward. And I must say, I didn't work with you for too long on the board, uh, but you were fantastic to work with. I can't uh, wait to continue to work with you in this new position. Uh, And speaking of board members, we're going to go to a story that comes to us from a residential systems and another board member, uh, Henry Clifford. Are you ready for Resi Marshall? What this is, is this is the moving trend to more residentially focused, if you will, or or designed in a residential uh, concept for commercial environments, i.e. essentially uh, office spaces, office buildings that have that homey feel, that, uh, you know, residential uh, life, if you will. Giles, I want to start with you on this one. Um, Coming from the integrator, this is this is something that a lot of residential dealers are doing. They're working in the commercial markets a little bit. Uh, they're dipping their toes in that water. Resimercial is a, a new uh, term that I had not heard before, but it really is blending a lot of the design aesthetics that we in residential see with the technology of commercial. For dealers that are already doing commercial work, is this a, a big shift for them or will this be a big shift for them to bring in more of the design focused aspect of this or, or do you think this is something that most dealers are already doing oh no i i, I don't think dealers are already doing this i absolutely yeah i i 100 um uh, think that this is about bringing more design focus into the commercial world um i think it's you know it, it it is um not without its challenges i mean i think the commercial world is very different to the resi world um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking from my experience of being an integrator uh, in the centre of London, we were surrounded by um, commercial office spaces, boardrooms. Um, the way of working uh, in commercial is a bit different. A lot of the time you're working uh, through the contractor. You're not necessarily working direct with client. That requires a whole different uh, way of doing business. So I think it's it's definitely not without its challenges, but I think there's a huge opportunity there because um of the nature of the designers that are available. When you come to, uh, to these projects and you're able to propose solutions that um, are actually really gonna enhance the spaces, I mean, designers are like, whoa, you know, we're not used to this. You know, mm-hmm. in commercial, a lot of the time, there's no thought into aesthetics. It's about the right product for the job. So yeah, I'm, I'm very enthusiastic. I've always thought that there is an opportunity for um, residential integrators to work more in boardrooms. Um, and I think this is just a continuation of that. Very good. Julie, when, when dealers or, or integrators are looking at this, one of the things that Henry points out is that margins typically can be lower. Uh, Giles just pointed out that sometimes it can be a bit of a, a, a challenge to get in front of uh, those either designers or architects or, or people that are designing these spaces and say, hey, you know, we really want to bring a, a bigger design focus to this. We want to uh, pay more attention to the aesthetics of the space. Is that something that makes moving into this type of commercial harder for, for integrators? Is this something that they should be going after if the margins are smaller and you might be getting pushback or, or maybe you have a more open road, but there's more discussion there about what you're doing from an aesthetic standpoint. I should ask you, you're the integrator. Uh, first, <laughs> I want to say uh, congratulations, Giles. I'm really excited to have someone in that position at Cedia. And I hope we'll, at some point during this conversation, understand a little bit what your new role will be there and who, who you are supposed to engage and in what you plan to engage. 
Um, as for moving into commercial, I, I mean, it, it'll take, it, it's a different business, whether there's a design focus or complete, you know, product mm -hmm. uh, utilitarian focus and you know, integrators need to understand that they might, you know, they're, they're, these projects are not as relationship-based as their residential projects might be. There could be bidding and formalities that they might not be used to. But um, it also can, and, and even if the margins are smaller for, for certain technological electronics and technology products, there's also opportunities to bring in very, very expensive design elements like acoustical treatments, mm -hmm. which can be just absolutely stunning as well as, uh, you know, tech, technological necessities. Um, so there, there's, there's really <laughs> some costly design elements that can impact the space and the bottom line as well. Very good. All right, let's move to our next story of the day. This comes to us from Strategy. Uh, Savant has partnered with Avid in a push for market expansion. If you've missed this, uh, Savant has partnered with Avid. They're going to start uh, offering Savant products to Avid dealers. Uh, this actually popped up when I logged into Avid, one of our suppliers this morning, uh, and, and saw the, the advertisement just before I read the article. Julie, I want to come back to you on this. Savon has always been, dare I say, a, a little hard to, to obtain. If you were a dealer who was interested in it, it, it wasn't necessarily something that you could just go pick up anywhere uh, by any means. It was much harder to uh, obtain the line. Connecting Savant with Avid, to me, seems, I don't want to say odd, but it doesn't seem like the partnership that I expected Avid to announce at all. This kind of shocks me. Is this something that shows, I know Savant has been making moves, has been making waves. Is this something of Savant trying to quickly grow its dealer base? Or is this, is there something else here that we're missing? You know, this happens all the time and virtually all of the pro-oriented, uh, you know, selective manufacturers have tried distribution at some point or the mm -hmm. other. Um, tried and left, tried, left, came back. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's a whole new ballgame. And I, I wasn't entirely clear if this would open. Um, this, the news actually came out a, a week or two ago, and I mm -hmm. hadn't read it since we posted something. Um, so I'm not clear if this opens up the line to anyone with an Avid account or if they're still authorizing individual dealers um, to uh, to buy the line through Avid, which which a lot of distributors do is mm -hmm. carry products, but only authorized dealers can can pick it up. So do do you know? I I don't know clarification on that. I would assume that uh, you're going to have to go through some form of process because with Avid, uh, some of you know a, a large number of their lines require some level of certification or. Uh, you know, authorization to, to access. Um, I'm making that general assumption. I don't know that for a fact, but I, I think we can safely assume that they're not going to let anyone with an open Avid account uh, purchase. Giles, when you look at this, this does to a degree remind me of uh, Avid's experiment, shall we say, with another major control manufacturer with two product lines, which again, being from the UK, you may not have experienced that, but they opened up a lot of new dealers. A lot of new dealers did 
some good work and a lot of dealers did some not so good work and quickly the line dissolved. I'm not trying to, you know, forecast that this is the, the plan, but when something like this comes in and, and Savant is one of those products that a lot of dealers would like to get, is this something that dealers should be jumping right into now that it's a little bit easier uh, to obtain or is this something that they really need to sit back and look at and, and, and what's the process involved in doing that? Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's quite interesting coming from the UK market because, of course, you know, in the UK, we have tons of distributors. We very, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 there, there are a few manufacturers that actually have bases in, in the UK. And actually, you know, that, that carries across um, to mainland Europe as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I don't know um, this distributor in question. Um, I mean, my experience when I was an integrator buying from a distributor, there is, there's always the risk that a product's impact is going to be reduced by you know distributors that are carrying multiple brands whether that brand is going to get the right focus that it deserves when a, when I, when you've got a distributor that's carrying multiple lines so um, i think it's an interesting move i think obviously they um, it has to be coming from a sales you know a sales drive mm-hmm. rather than perhaps a marketing uh, push because um, it's going to come under some scrutiny i'm sure um, but you know, uh, I think time will tell whether this is uh, you know going to be beneficial to the Savant brand or whether it's actually going to do more harm than good. Well, let me let me follow up with with this question: Is this one of those things that yes, it could potentially do some harm to the brand, but as a whole, expanding that brand's reach supersedes that because again, they've been an, a niche product; they haven't necessarily been able to compete with some of the bigger players in the automation and control platform, mm. their new uh, cloud-based system looks really good. Mm. Mm. But, you know, I, I would question, could that not be achieved through, through um, the rep network? You know, I, I don't know, what, why, is, why is a distributor needed in order to achieve that? I don't know, you know, um, mm-hmm. if, if they're trying to access more dealers, um, you know, maybe they just need an expanded sales force, which, you know, my understanding is that's what the rep network is there for. Um, but yeah, yeah. But you can, with, with facilities like Avid and some of the other multi-location distributors, they can offer uh, training programs, certification programs, um, have specialists at the, at the uh, showroom, you know, products that integrate with Savant are sold and supported right there. So, I mean, there's definitely benefits to it. And, and, you know, there's always that give and take when you uh, broaden distribution, whether that's through um, just opening up more dealers, selling direct, or going through distribution, or creating new products that are viable to a larger population. And uh, yeah, it's going to tick off a lot of dealers. You know, any dealer that's already selling a brand doesn't want their next door competitor. Yeah. Um, having it. But on the flip side, if I'm a consumer, I do not want a home automation system that only one guy in my town is installing. I mean, I want to be, I want an automation system that 10 people locally could support. So. Well, and I think that's, that's the big key to these kind of stories is yes, as a, as a local dealer who, you know, might be one or two of, uh, you know, companies in town that can do it. I love that. But as an industry, which, which I'd like to think Giles can speak to, we want 
more penetration. We want more market penetration. We want more people out there in this case, you know, singing the praises of Savant because that helps everyone, you know, raise that tide and, and raise everyone on that tide. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example. We had a melee dishwasher in uh, Minnesota and we needed service on it. And because it's so exclusive, we didn't buy it ourselves. It was in the house we acquired. We don't, buy brands like that. Um, <laughs> I guess, no, I guess it was so exclusive that we, we had, don't make me laugh. Um, we, we had a hell of a time getting service. Yeah. I guess it, you know, um, in some respects puts the onus on the manufacturer to really raise the bar because a lot of people, um, integrators in the past would choose brands for, for maybe a bit of differentiation in their local mm-hmm. market to their competitors. So if a lot of, uh, lot of HDPs are doing control four, you will naturally choose a product that's slightly, you know, slightly different. Um, if there are more dealers um, selling the same brand, then the onus is on the integrator to deliver a better, better experience. So I think, you know, that, that's a positive thing. And like, you know, like I said, I, I didn't know a lot about this distributor. So thank you, Julie, for explaining about the training facilities and that and, and, yeah. and what they offer as yeah. well. So they're clearly an added value um, distributor. So um, I'm, you know, yeah, it's it's not just a warehouse. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been doing a lot for uh, for the industry for a long time, uh, especially in you know metros where you may not have as many manufacturer locations. Uh, having them, you know, s- sort of locally uh, to go in and, and see and play and, and get training and stuff like that is is fantastic. Let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from in, uh, Innovation and Tech today. Uh, Is your automated home at risk for computer viruses? This has been a big, you know, security topic that we've, we've talked about on, on this show and many others for, for quite a long time, but we do still uh, seem to continue, continually need to have it. Kind of the, the points that they cover really quickly are that you need to choose products for your smart home that have built in security, make sure that your devices are protected with security software and, uh, you know, only connect things to the network that need to be connected, uh, as we've seen uh, quite a few times with some ridiculous things that have opened the door for hacking and, and things such as that. Giles, I want to start with you on this one. Um, CD as a whole and the industry in general, we have been talking about cybersecurity for, gosh, as long as I've been actively involved in the residential side of the channel. Um, and we like to think that this has you know, that message has got through. People continue to write these reports. You're shaking your head right now. We know this message has not gotten through. The question I had was, obviously, we're still having that conversation. We're still reminding people that they need to reset the default passwords. How much of the, you know, at what point does that onus become partially on the consumer in the sense that we want dealers to understand that security is very important, but how often do the homeowners not care. And no matter how much you try to tell them that, yeah, your, your ISP router probably doesn't have a really secure firewall. You should get a proper appliance that has a decent firewall. Well, I think, I think 100% they do care. I just think they're not aware. And I think that's, that's the, 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 the major issue with all of this. I mean, you know, Matt, when we were, you know, carrying out the CDA uh, strategy work, this was mm-hmm. um, highlighted, privacy was highlighted as, as one of the major influencing 
um, events that we all need to be aware of. I mean, you think, take an IP camera that's connected um, on, the, on the outside of someone's house. You unscrew that camera, you've got a, a, a Cat5, Cat6 cable there, you plug it into your laptop, you're on the home network because so many you know, integrators do not set up uh, secure networks and the same with right. door stations. So the, the, the issue here is that actually, I don't think a lot of integrators realize how much the homeowner trusts them. I mean, we have so much insight into their lives. We, we can access their security systems. Um, we're given passwords to their emails, to their servers. And I don't think there is any kind of um, policy or, or, or guidelines into how we actually look after that data. And I think that's that needs to be addressed 100%. It, it, it's dangerous. Very good. Julie, what, what Giles mentioned was really, really key. We don't realize how much trust we usually have with our consumers. How do we better tell that story, sell that story of security is, is paramount and maybe you don't get the 80-inch the TV, maybe you only get the 75 and we get you a rock-solid network. Is that a communication issue? Is that dealers just not being able to tell that story properly? Well, how, do, how do we fix that? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. First of all, I've never really seen a dealer that is selling as we're going to make sure your connected home is secure, your data is secure, your privacy. That's not a sales pitch you hear. And number one, I don't think that integrators recognize that that would be an excellent sales pitch, very compelling. Uh, but the other thing is maybe they know it is a good sales pitch, but they're scared. They're, scared about liabilities of, of pitching themselves as a pro provider that's going to uh, get you a secure IoT connected home um, and, and there's a breach. What then? Well, you promised that you were going to give me this secure home and, you know, because we all know that it's only as secure as the homeowner, you know, makes it. They're going to add stuff to the network or to give their friends, uh, you know, the password then it becomes less secure. So I think th those are the two things going on in my book. Yeah, I know we, uh, when we talked about this the last time on the show, um, someone mentioned the fact that, you know, when you go and get an alarm system, you literally sign on the contract that the alarm company is not liable for anything. If you get robbed, yeah, we're liable for, you know, usually a thousand to $2,000, that's it. And when it comes to smart home, I think if we start to not, not that we want to take that approach, but there's a lot more that can be done there as, as Julie and both Giles mentioned. All right, folks that, uh, well, you, let me, let me just comment yeah. on real quick. I think that it is definitely very important that we get some contracts like that in place because I'm not, I'm not seeing them. Um, what you said is very, is, is very accurate. It's, it's very hard to sue an alarm company when, uh, you know, even if the product fails, even if there was uh, an installation error, it really has to be negligence to, to recoup anything. And I'd like to, I'd sure like to see more integrators uh, having contracts signed about uh, data breaches. Yeah, I must say when I read through uh, with, with one of my lawyers, when I read through the, I want to say it was Vivint uh, with their alarm contract, I was 
very surprised at how much liability they do not carry. They, they literally have none. It's, it's very impressive. <laughs> you know, all, all, the, all the top security companies are like that. I mean, look, mm-hmm. at, it, it's very hard to recoup from a security. Uh, yeah, you're not, you're not winning that battle. <laughs> unless there was negligence. Very good. All right. That is uh, all the time we have this week. Julie, thanks so much for joining us again. If people want to connect with you, uh, read more of what you write, follow you on, on the interwebs, where can they do that? The probably easiest way is to find me on Twitter. I'm at Julie Jacobson with an S-O-N. Uh, we're, we are at CEPro.com and refresh our content every day. So Thanks. keep coming back. Will do. Thank you so and, much. Uh, I'll just, and yeah. welcome, Files. We're just really excited to have you in the CDA community. I know you've always been active, but I think you'll be a great value to the organization and to the industry. Thanks, Julie. Well, with that lead in, I don't really have to say anything else. Um, Giles, if people want to connect with you, I know, as you said at the start, this is your first day, so you may not have all of that information. But again, just give us a quick overview of what you're looking to or or what your plans are for for engagement to put you on the spot. Yeah, no. So there's a lot of work to do, but I feel um, we're we're definitely going in the right direction. I feel um, particularly in the influencer um, channel, I think designers and architects, um, CEDA is able to leverage the relationships that it has with the AIA, the ASID to try and um, direct uh, more more designers and influencers to our members. Um, You know, I also feel uh, with manufacturers as well, there is uh, a need uh, to, to integrate with this community. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if people want to reach out to me, as I said, I've only been on the job for one day, but uh, my Twitter handle is Cedia uh, Giles. So uh, yeah, feel free to follow me there. Beautiful. We will do that for myself. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter and every other social platform. But more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of our other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the site, please take a moment to check out our underwriters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you support them as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. Resi Week.